0: We are, of course, in studio with uh, Bilal Vahed Esop. He's our South African doing great things. Uh, uh, Bilal, thank you so much for joining us and welcome.
1: Wonderful to be here, Wasanga. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, Bilal's uh, description, as, 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 as I read it, he's a wanderer an explorer and a mind opener. of course, just to get a bit more formal with it, uh, Bilal uh, plans to uh, summit six of the highest mountains in the the world and has summited Mount Elbrus in Russia. However, this is his fourth mountain climb. uh, uh, The first was Kilimanjaro, then Andes in South America, and thereafter Mount Everest Base Camp. Those are all scenic and incredible experiences. Can you just tell us what it's like to summit a a place like Ibrus Trek itself?
1: Albrus in Russia Albrus, yes. is a particularly interesting mountain because it's uh, snow-capped all year round and it feeds all the rivers and the tributaries below it. Um, Russia at the moment is in the middle of summer where it's experiencing 30, 34 degree centigrade days but at night it's down to only minus 15 degrees as opposed to the winter when it's much, much, much colder. Mm. Uh, Albrus is a special mountain, being the highest mountain in Europe at 5,642 meters above sea level. Um, How it feels to summit Mount Elbrus? amazing. You stand on the top of this mountain looking down at other mountains which seemed so formidable when you were down there. Mm. You look up and on one side of the mountain is Russia, on the other side of the mountain is Georgia, and all you see is the snow-capped mountains and peaks and greenery as far as your eye can see, and you Mm -hmm. feel on top of the
0: world. And of course, you've also uh, been up to uh, Mount, Mount Kilimanjaro, which is um, something we might be a bit more familiar with. And can you just tell us what that ex- experience was?
1: Kilimanjaro is special because it's Africa. It's closer to home, and we as South Africans may think of it as just uh, the next, the biggest mountain in our backyard. Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa mm-hmm. at five thousand eight hundred ninety-five meters above sea level it is another special mountain Mm. you could be at the bottom of the mountain and the weather could be perfect but on the mountain itself it has its own weather system and wasanga i tell you when, when you get to a certain height when you're above the clouds and you look up at night i promise you you've never seen as many stars as you've seen in your life it is absolutely epically beautiful
0: what goes into preparing uh, in, with the preparation in scaling such incredible heights, 5,000 meters and I can't imagine the altitude and just, just the physical uh, readiness and mental preparedness. What goes into preparing to scale these incredible mountains?
1: You've covered three main points in, in that question. Uh, first of all, your physical readiness and preparedness is important. Do you need to be a triathlon athlete? Absolutely not. Myself, uh, I find myself on a couch on the weekend. I'm I'm certainly not out there playing sport. Uh, But I am naturally, physically... Uh, athletic Uh although I'm not muscular Uh um, but I do play soccer and cricket every now and then and I'm active with the kids Mm. etc etc and anyway my day job keeps me running Mm. all day long Mm. Uh, so physically you have to have some sort of physical uh, readiness except that you don't need to be a professional athlete.
0: Uh, Now uh, you're quite an eclectic person and uh, you're an entrepreneur and you own five businesses.
1: Proudly own five businesses, yes. Uh, And the reason I say proud is because the businesses employ just over 200 people and obviously Mm. the extended families fall Mm. under my responsibility. Mm. Yeah, uh, four of the businesses are in marketing in the ICT space for what we call OEMs, Mm. uh, cell phone and appliance brands, and uh, the other businesses in the travel and tourism industry. In actual fact, the first business is the whole reason, the, the whole reason I opened the business is because I found a need to bring what we call mm-hmm. mountain trekking mm-hmm. to South Africa. Mm. I found myself summiting a mountain and saying, I wish, I really wish people could experience this. But mm. well, Sangha, we as South Africans, we, we're kind of conser- conservative in nature. Mm. Um, We we don't want to challenge anything that's outside of our comfort zones. Mm -hmm. And I, when stumbling across mountain trekking, which is what I've been doing for the last couple of years, when you push yourself physically to such a point that you realize that your body will not take you any further, only your mind will get you to summit this mountain. And when you achieve that and you bring that back into your daily life, in the way you afford yourself to others, in the way you conduct yourself in business, in family, with friends, Mm. you realize that no challenge is too big. You can overcome any hurdle
0: if you really, really want to. Speaking to Bilal Esop, entrepreneur and wanderer, explorer and mind opener. And as if, if you've been listening to him, it's, it's just incredible uh, to hear how the visual effects and just the whole entire experience of how it is to summit all of these mountains. Now, five businesses and you employ 200 people. How do you manage all of these businesses? I mean, there's only 24 hours in a
1: day Exactly, there's 24 hours in a day You make the time Work-life balance is very important it, It's something that's been said for a long time If you enjoy your work, it's not actually work mm-hmm. And if you can incorporate the two into each other Why not? You've got a winning formula mm-hmm. So it's about finding the balance But finding something you enjoy Look, we all don't have the luxury of choosing the job that we would love but look for the positives in it mm. and you will okay. find it. I promise you will.
0: Mm. And uh, just tell us about your background. You come from uh, Linnesia and you schooled at Nirvana Secondary. Would you ever thought you'd be a, a mountain trekking person from that uh, journey? Just take us from where you began in Linesia and how you became this incredible entrepreneur. Five business- businesses and you also have been tracking how many mountains?
1: Yeah, uh, I did grow up in Linasia. Uh, I'm the kid that actually lived in Linasia South, which is eight kilometers away and had to hike to school every day. Um, no, I did not see myself owning five businesses and climbing mountains. Um, but that's the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing and trying to bring mm. the word out there is that your background, your your culture, your the, the things that you think, I don't have, so therefore I can't, there's no such thing. If you really want something, you're going to go after it, whether it be monetary, whether it be material, whether it be spiritual. If you really desire to get that, you will break down doors to get what you want.
0: And you you do sound like a a very liberal person. So, And you talked about how... um, Um, a lot of there's a lot of fear and we're afraid to break boundaries so now let's talk about innovation and how you manage your workforce you employ over 200 people and of course you take long periods of time where you you do travel so i asked you about sabbaticals we're getting to a time where people are burning out you mentioned how important uh, a balanced lifestyle is so for you i was reading an article on sabbaticals and some some people are even saying that a month is something that they can do what do you say about that
1: I followed that article as well. Um, My opinion on it is that depending on the echelon within your organization, sabbaticals could work or potentially could not work. It could be disastrous for a company, let's say a company that's in a startup phase. Mm -hmm. And understand that startup phases don't last two or three weeks. In some cases, startup phases last two or three years. Mm. A company that's in a startup phase, and if you are a key employee, you're taking a sabbatical, would probably harm the productivity that that you the productivity of the company now a company in a run phase where there is succession planning in place and enough resources to be able to cater for your absence that company would probably survive your sabbatical mm. having said that now you made a point earlier about technology
0: mm.
1: technology in today's day and age, truth be told, is that you don't have to be in studio to be able to yeah. do the show right now. You yeah. could be doing it from your couch at home, either via Skype, or mm. there's apps available to mm. to produce uh, radio show, shows. So in certain industry, for example, IT, if you're a tech developer, mm. you could do that from home and not have to be in an, an, a formal office environment. Mm. I think the idea of the sabbatical Look at why. Why are we considering sabbaticals? It's because of fatigue and burnout at work level mm-hmm. where the same mundane job is being done in the same environment every day. And that's where employees, the responsibility of the employer is to create that environment. Whether it be the air conditioning or the lighting or the color of the walls mm-hmm. or the pause area for, for lunch times. all of those need to be considered. In order to avoid having to take long sabbaticals
0: Mm. So let's talk about uh, cubicles specifically That's something that seems for me I think it's very detached personally What do you feel about the whole idea of cubicles? Could you make it, I've seen maybe transparent ones that make it a bit more engaging. How do you feel about cubicles?
1: Depending on the job again. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough in one of my first jobs, I was actually a debt collector for one of the big retailers. Mm -hmm. And we we each had, all 500 of us each had our own little cubicle. And we had to have conversations with the people that we were collecting money from. Mm -hmm. Number one, it's up to the individual. Me personally, when I was in my cubicle, I never sat down. I always stood up so that my windpipes were open and you could talk clearly and you could articulate your message to the person properly. But what it does do is isolate you from the rest of your team. Now, in a team that requires high productivity, in my case, in that at that stage, it was collecting debt mm-hmm. where the amount of money you collected was important and the amount of rehabilitation that you did for the person that you were speaking to was important. Mm-hmm. You need that privacy. You need no disturbances in the middle of a conversation. So, again, it depends on the kind of work you're in.
0: And I was uh, talking to, I read an article about, I wish I was talking to Steve Jobs, but I read, I was watching a video uh, about him and he was talking about how his organizations doesn't have too many departments because it's a startup uh, environment. And we talked about the different phases in an organization and something that is important in a startup phase. And we, we, I'm assuming this because of the low levels of employment in our country and how important entrepreneurship is. In a startup type of environment, um, there are no. There's no. There, you need to be agile. You need to have so many different aspects of it. And when is it the time to give? Uh, let's say the sabbatical. Someone who's a leader leaves, for example, it pushes the younger and maybe newer force to be in those positions. When do you expose your new force to that type of environment?
1: Good leaders will be exposing the newer, younger force to that environment, even when the top guys are still in place without them having been taken any sabbaticals. Our problem with our leadership is that we we tend to, and I'm generalizing Mm -hmm, here, mm -hmm. we tend to hold on to our jobs and not share information. We tend to try and make ourselves irreplaceable. The truth of the matter is that everybody is
0: replaceable. How do you give someone comfort about that statement? Because it's not supposed to be a threat. Uh, When you say that you're replaceable, some people may feel like, oh my goodness, um, that means that I'm not valuable to the organization. There's
1: the key word. Maybe you need, as an employee, you need to make yourself invaluable. That's Mm -hmm. what you need. You need to not be one-dimensional. So, okay, it's it's easier said than done if you're an Mm -hmm. accountant Mm -hmm. and all you need to do is be an accountant and the only way you can be more innovative is to be creative with books. That's not what I mean. I mean... And I can, I can only talk from experience. Mm. In, in, in positions I've held in the companies I've worked in, I've tended to move around in multiple positions uh, because I was curious enough to know how all the workings of the organization mm. work together to get the ball rolling.
0: And so many people uh, seeking more information, tips and advice on uh, fast growing a fast-growing hobby and how you, you've managed to turn one of your hobbies into something financial. And it's a passion. You know, people always say that um, if it's your passion, it doesn't feel like work. But you also mentioned that we can't always have that, uh, that, that 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 privilege, you know. Sometimes you need to start at rock bottom and build eventually to get to your passion. How do you bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, you, you, you need to back yourself. You really need to say, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with 110%. And I'm not going to back up. Even if it's failing, I'm going to stick to it until I know for sure this is not working. I've managed to turn what was a hobby or an activity into a business. And with, with one thing in mind, that I know that for the first couple of months or even first year, I don't intend to make money. What I intend to do is employ people mm. and educate people of opportunities that are out there. Therefore, your reference in the in in, a, in your opening statement, embarrassingly calling me a, a mind opener, <laughs> uh, it's something that I've discovered.
0: and stumbled upon myself, and therefore I want to
1: share this with mm-hmm. fellow South Africans.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you go? As far as motivating people and not sounding pretentious because I, I, I have a sense of lot uh, uh, very you're very genuine in your energy and, and with your uh, with your abilities and your limitations and how you understand say, my experience specifically so how do you motivate people without maybe uh, intimidating them
1: it's difficult over the radio the medium is not impersonal but mm-hmm. not as personal as being face to face uh, the way I hope to do it in my business and in my environment is to lead by example. Um, I, pretentious, no. I wear a suit and tie to work at some, on, <laughs> on some days, but I'm also the guy that will get under the table and fix the wiring if need be. It's amazing. You need to lead by example.
0: And what do you feel about Jess Code?
1: If you curb someone's individual stress sense or enthusiasm in any way to up, to apply to your business or your thought patterns, you are immediately boxing them and you're curbing their creativity. Some jobs need zero creativity. <laughs> Others don't. So if you in the space where you are in media mm-hmm. or you're in advertising or marketing like I am, mm-hmm. it's best that you allow the people, whether it be earrings or braids, like mm. comfort, uh, whether it be earrings or braids, yeah. allow them to be who they want to be. Mm. Unless, of course, you're in an environment that needs to make a statement in the way it appears to the rest of the market. Startup mm. businesses often make that mistake, is that they allow too much casual behavior and dress in their business and their appearance and the way they're looked upon by potential buyers of mm-hmm. their products or services is then hampered. So, you need to manage it.
0: Uh, we've got our, our South African doing great things in studio, Bilal Esop. Um, he's a wanderer and an explorer. Uh, I won't say the, the other term that he didn't really enjoy too much. I think it was thrill seeker. Because <laughs> uh, you, you, I'm sure there's also other uh, terms like adrenaline junkie as well.
1: You, you could describe me as that. Uh, some people would see it as that. But that that's exactly my point. I've climbed four mountains, I've done street losing at eighty Ks per hour on my back on a skateboard, I've walked over fire, I've done a lot of really, really adventurous things. But during my travels Every time I've gone to a new country and tried a new mountain or environment on a mountain, I seem to be meeting a lot of Europeans and Australians and Americans. And I look forward to spotting that South African. Where <laughs> is that South African? Uh, it's because, And that's the reason I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. It's because I want to see more South Africans getting out there and exploring the world and mm-hmm. gaining these experiences. If we want to... If we as South Africans want to compete on the economic scale globally, mm. we need to open our minds. Mm. Uh, a, a friend of mine's Paul, he's, a, uh, he's, he's, a, he's become a good friend over the years and I've used his services. Uh, he owns a motivational company. Mm. He's, he, he described it as take a balloon in, 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 out of the packet and this balloon is empty and you got it in your hand blow into it just blow into it to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and then suddenly just let that balloon go all over the room go and pick up that balloon that balloon's not the same shape it was before you started blowing it Mm. and it's the same how that applies to experiences once someone has experienced something their mind has opened they are never the same they've changed for the positive
0: Bilal Fahed Esop and Chupanya and Wanderer and mind opener. He's our South African doing great things. When we're back up, we want to talk about failure and friendship and business. Seven zero two SMS night talk on three one seven zero two. Nineteen minutes before ten o'clock, we are talking to Bilal Vahid Esop, South African. Our South African doing great things, and he's an entrepreneur and wanderer and explorer and mind opener. Bilal, once again, thank you for joining us. Wonderful. So, I think one of the most common things about successful people is tenacity and you can talk about being able to bounce back many aphorisms um, referring to failure and how you respond to it how do you ha- as, a, as, a, as a first of all personally individually how do you handle failure and also then how do you uh, maybe, maybe handle an unsuccessful campaign with one of your employees they may have made a mistake and it's it's perceived as a failure how do you handle those two situations
1: i absolutely do not mind failure from failure you learn. Have I failed much? Fortunately for me, or maybe luckily for me, not so much. But there has been times where uh, you question what you're doing. Um, your your drive is questioned. You have detractors. You need to put all of that aside and uh, and decide what was it that I was going for? What were the unpack? What's the reasons you may have failed? Mm. And then go at it again. Do not give up on it. In business, I've had one business failure. Uh, which cost me a packet um, but what it didn't cost me is friendships mm. and that's a direction maybe the conversation can also go in in that but mm. w- w- working with friends can sometimes work out well and other times not it's and this is the the pessimist in me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a it's a really terrible example so for. For the the listeners, forgive me. Mm. When people sometimes get married, they they set up a prenup. Mm -hmm. Your prenup, your shareholders agreement Mm -hmm. is your prenup agreement for the business. Mm. When things are going well, everyone is happy and there's no issues and money will be shared, fame will be shared. But when things Mm. go bad, you need to understand what are the repercussions who holds what responsibility and where does accountability lie from a shareholder's perspective Mm. into what gets done with the business next. So bringing friends or family into the business, I'm fortunate. My Mm. wife, Johan, works with me in the business. Mm. Um, So we're at work together, but we bring work home as well. (laughs) I'm also fortunate that my kids... Uh, out with me in the field every weekend because I work seven days oh, a week. Fantastic. So they know the business inside out, although they're still young, but they'll tell you a price of a, of an LG appliances b- b- versus what it should be on the shelf mm. and wh- 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 what it shouldn't be. Mm. My point being is that choose very carefully who you go into business with understand your role and what, are you, what you're supposed to deliver. And as long as you're clear on that and keep on measuring against milestones, mm. you will be fine.
0: Yeah, that's what I was... I think it's always about that SLA, the service level agreement and those parameters which don't make it personal. You don't say, no, it's not because I like you. It's like, my guy, the numbers aren't adding up. Spot on. Now, when we're talking small or medium business and
1: we talk about in that language, the SLAs and the shareholders agreements, mm. We are doing South Africa this favor because we're missing half the population of new of entrepreneurs. Exactly. And the entrepreneurs don't understand or even know that they need to have stuff like that in place. Mm. It doesn't need to be as formal as that. What it needs to be is some sort of written contract or written agreement as to what's the expectation mm-hmm. from each
0: individual. Mm. And then the scenarios, then how in terms of uh, KPIs, those are key performance indicators. When do I decide that We can't carry on. It's not financially beneficial for us to carry on this relationship because ultimately you want to be able to say to your friend or more importantly, your business associate, Mm -hmm. this is what we agreed upon, this is what's not happening and this is how we're going to resolve it. Yeah. You'd,
1: you'd know that long before you got to that point that the, the, the ah. business has to pull out. Ah. In most cases, which I found from my experience having watched m- some of my friends and other people, it always seems that there's one partner that doesn't pull their weight to a point that the other partner say feels unfairly treated, that I'm putting in 100%, but I'm only getting 50% of the business. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you either have to deal with it as a buyout of some sort or there has to be some amicable separation.
0: And then um, I just there was a, a, this, a Very famous South African uh, Comedian and uh, Trevor Noah Is in the country and he said Something very interesting about our Just, uh, just our general Demeanor regarding uh, how much We expect to pay for things and um, He said that South Africans need We should stop expecting more for less And um, he feels that Uh, South Africans from businesses in the entertainment industry to elsewhere as well as ordinary citizens and consumers need to start paying each other what they deserve. From a domestic worker to a petrol attendant to all the people we take for granted how cheap we're paying for these people. So he's hit back. Some people have said that the tickets, they were 140 and then they go up to 1,400 rand. Mm. How how do you feel about that?
1: That's Trevor Noah's prerogative. I'm a big fan, Trevor, by the way. (laughs) Welcome home. Uh, That's that's his prerogative. There's expenses to be paid. There's overheads to run a show. There's venues, et cetera, et cetera. Back to his point, though. We need to pay for value. So let me take a step back. It's human nature, and not South Africans, anywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. human nature is that if I had to give you an increase on your salary today, you would be satisfied only for so long is the next time you're unhappy about something and feel that you're undervalued or want more money. Fair enough. Okay. Do I agree with the current minimum domestic uh, domestic worker wage? I think not. I think we should be paying more. Do we need to pay more for, uh, more for our employees more for the work they're doing? Again... Are you a driver? Are you a delivery person? Are you an admin staff member? What's your role in the organization? Mm-hmm. Each one is equally important for the whole organization to operate. But you need to pay, not according to market-related salaries, you need to pay for how, what you value that person at. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 again, pay for value, but expect the same in return. I've always told my staff that an, an employment relationship between an employee and employee is two ways. It's not one way. Mm. It's me as an employer paying you a certain sum for a fee. Do you agree, yes or no? Mm. Will you render the services, yes or no? Mm. Okay, And that's why so many organizations end up in CCMA cases. not because of you, you're underpaid. It's because... Is they're not clear on what the key performance indicators are. They're not clear on what the deliverables are. And they haven't reduced it to writing to say that for this amount, you are going to give me the service. I am buying your expertise. Mm. You are supplier to an organization, even though you're an employee.
0: How do you feel about competitiveness in an organization? And, um, you know, you always have that edge. You said that you must be able to increase the va- your value in, in, in whatever place you you are in the market chain. And there's agility, for example. And then there's uh, an example of work ethic. And then how do you increase that, uh, that competitive nature in a positive manner? Because there's uh, positive reinforcement when it comes to competitiveness, and then there's negative elements.
1: You 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 treat it in the same way as you as an organization wants to treat your competitive out, competitive edge out there with your competitors in the same industry. And by that, what I mean is that as a business, you need to be innovating. When you when you think, "Oh, I've innovated enough and I can last another six months," you're dead in the water. You are already on a plateau, and you're going to go downhill. Mm. The same applies internally. If you got an employee and. His job is to put a sticker on the window every morning, and that's all you expect. Well and good. Don't expect more. But if you got an employee that will innovate and look for and question what you, wh- why they are doing this and how they are doing it, mm. that's the employee to keep. Ask the same employee two questions. Uh, the, the same two employees the same question. How high is the building? Um, and one will, t- I read a story the other mm-hmm. day, one will tell you that it's exactly 150 meters high because I read it and someone told me. The other will run out and measure the shadow, measure against his shadow and come up with the calculation of more or less what it would be. Which employee would you hire? I'd hire an employee that applied their mind in getting to the answer rather than an employee that read it somewhere. Mm. If you're fortunate in your big organization, actually hire you both and see what a good team they'll make.
0: Now, his workforces are very complicated. Uh, but just uh, to balance the conversation a bit, Bilal, you also are obviously a trekker and all those aspects. I asked you the, the readiness that you need. If you've just joined us, we're talking to our first South African doing great things, Bilal Vahedesop. He's an entrepreneur and a mountaineer, a wanderer and explorer and a mind opener. He's an incredibly, incredibly astute business person. As If you've been listening, you can hear some of the suggestions. But now to go back to the more uh, thrill-seeking aspect, adrenaline-driven uh, aspect of just the experience of, uh, of, 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 of being able to clear all of these mountains, uh, how, what are the actual amounts are you looking at? Do you need special equipment? And, um, how, do you, and how do you find the overall accommodation throughout your journey? Okay. Each
1: mountain is different. As I said, Albrus is a snow capped mountain. The Andes is more fields and it, it comes up to a height of four thousand eight hundred meters. Mm. Understand that you're dealing with three different elements. You're dealing with number one, your physical fitness, your physical readiness. You're dealing with number two, your altitude the altitude of the mountain that you that you're attempting mm. anything over 4,000 meters and you, you're going to be facing mountain sickness and you need to, you need to be drinking enough water and doing the trek as slowly as mm. possible so that you don't get the headaches and the physical fatigue. And the third thing you're dealing with is your own strength of mind. Mm. Well, wow. How strong is my mindset that I'm actually going to achieve this? Because if you don't have that third element, it doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter whether acclimatization is affecting you or not. You are not going to achieve your goal.
0: Mm. And what kind of foods do you eat during the course of the journey? You don't want to get a cramp or eat the wrong type of meals. What are the, 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 the meals?
1: First of you? all, I'm South African. I always got boltong in my bag. <laughs> um, for breakfast, you'll have oats, Uh, teas. You won't be having coffees Mm. or coke or fuzzy drinks Mm -hmm. because they are diuretics. You want to maintain your hydration levels instead of uh, depleting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'd have a lot of cucumber soup, vegetable soup, different kind of teas. Mm -hmm. Um, Different mountains have different facilities. So for example, Mount Everest Base Camp which is five thousand three hundred and some odd meters. It's yeah. only to base camp. Actual Everest is eight thousand eight hundred meters. Mm. But base camp alone is a formidable task. It takes twelve days to get there from the Nepalese side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um there, every night, every evening, you you after a trek, you spend in what they call a tea house, which is a little kitchen and a, and, and a couple rooms, mm. and there you can have anything from a burger to a pizza if you want. Mm. Okay, it's very informal though; it's okay. not like in a restaurant, but there is a, a, a lot on the menu. Whereas uh, Kilimanjaro, where you stay in tents. The food is made on uh, a, a gas stove mm. and you could be having popcorn or soup or rice for mm. that
0: matter. All right. And uh, um, there's something very interesting you mentioned about your children. You said they're very much a part of your life and the tricks, etc. And it was incredible. You said that they're very aware of, they're price conscious as well of a way to praise products. This is how much it should cost. This is the value that they're putting it at. How important is financial literacy with your children and being honest? I've mentioned that um, you know some families, things collapse, they fall apart because children only learn later how much things really cost. The first time you look at taxes, those kind of things, how open can you be with your children when it comes to financial literacy and just letting them be kids?
1: So I, I think I, must, uh, I, I fall into a very special categories. I have four children, uh, 10, 12, 15, and 16. My children are not allowed any pocket money at all. They know that if daddy years money jingle in their pockets, they have to give it up. So, my philosophy is kids, if there's anything you want, ask me for it and I'll get it for you. Obviously, if you deserve it, you will get it. You don't need to have your own money at all. So, my kids are not grown up, are not growing up deprived of everything they want. Mm. They just have to earn it or at least just be kids about it. But money, I don't bring it into the equation at all because I don't, in today's environment, I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if they're going to buy the right things. So, for example, I'm in the ICT space. Mm. A lot of my clients are some of the biggest cellular manufacturers in the world. And my 16-year-old got her phone for the first time last year. And my 15-year-old, who just turned 15, got a phone for his birthday Mm. at 15. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing in South Africa is that the kids are getting phones from younger and younger. You much. have
0: three-year-olds looking at these big iPads.
1: Absolutely. Now, my take on it is that I'm in the ICT space. My children have exposure to all the, all the equipment. I'm changing phones every couple of weeks because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm able to. They know how to use laptops, tablets, phones, anything at all. All the technology, thrown at them, they know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Although they don't own it themselves. And there's limitation on the technology anyway at home. So Mm. no Xbox at certain times. (laughs) I'm I'm a pretty strict parent.
0: Uh, And I think think the biggest part I get from it is is they know and understand the functionality, but they are not superficial. They have those. uh, For me, I always think of it as um, money being energy. You know, it's access. But in terms of materialism, as you mentioned, it's not an aspect. And and, and I appreciate the fact that you said it's um, a unique environment to stay in. But financial literacy still is a a state of mind. We live in a capitalistic world. They must be able to maneuver in it. Sure. There is that shell where you say that uniquely, this is how they use uh, these resources they need. And this is how they understand money. But then how would you say then you pit that, your parenting, against financial literacy and a capitalistic world.
1: No, I I just need my children to be aware. They don't have to be engaged in the money. They just need to be aware. Mm. My uh, 12-year-old, I just got back from Russia now, He, I got a habit that when I come back, all the change, all the loose change that Mm -hmm. I have in foreign currency, I always give the two little ones. Mm. And they collect the currency and they keep tabs on what the value Mm. of the currency is. And they'll show off to me, daddy, I have so much. They never, ever write. They Mm. never, ever correct in their their (laughs) valuation, But now at least they know how (laughs) currencies work.
0: Mm. All right, it's been phenomenal talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Our South African doing great things. We call him a mountaineer, uh, maybe a social entrepreneur. Before I, be, I know, I've been uh, saying that. I'm going to let you go. I, you just had a huge nod when I said social entrepreneur. Just for our listeners out there, a quick one: What is social entrepreneurship, and what benefit does it have? It's
1: about creating business, and business is about making money. Let's not lie to ourselves about that. It's about creating business, but creating business that are sustainable, not just for myself and my family, but for the families that we employ. That's, for me, what true entrepreneurship is about.
0: Mm, Of course. Thank you so much once again. That's uh, Bilal Vahed Esop, entrepreneur and wanderer, explorer, and mind-opener, our South African doing great things.